Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of the Fox Nomad Podcast. I'm your host, Fox Nomad, Anil Polat. Welcome to this episode. We are going to be talking all about Iraq and specifically traveling in Baghdad. My guest today is Mati Abo Al Kamachi, who is who was my guide. He is an engineering student in Baghdad, but he also does tour guiding as well. Uh, he was my guide. He's just a great guy, very knowledgeable, and it was really fun to connect and uh, talk to him again. So I'm really excited to share this conversation with you. We also get into a little bit of tech because, you know, that's what we do on this podcast. After this conversation, if you're interested in traveling to Iraq or Baghdad, I'm going to leave links down in the show notes to where you can find and make a booking with Bill Weekend, which is the tour company, so that you can have a great experience in your time. We talk about the recent news out of Baghdad and Iraq, what it's like traveling there. Can you, you know, is it safe? What about the protests? Why you would want to even visit all those things we go into in depth. And I think it's a really just interesting place. I had a great time when I was there and I had a great time just learning more about it. And I think you will too. All right. Well, thank you, Mehdi, for, for being on the podcast. Um, I, I appreciate you taking the time. I know uh, it's evening there for you. So uh, thank you for being uh, taking the time to talk to me. Yeah, sure. No, no problem at all. Like, uh, first, uh, I would like, I, I like, sorry, I love to, I have loved to do this actually from the beginning that you mentioned it uh, during the time that I was touring you. And uh, yeah, um, I'm really eager to what we will talk, be talking about in the upcoming hour or so. Yeah. So one thing that I forgot to tell you before we hit record is that I always tell the guests that I try to keep the before we record conversation as short as possible because in the beginning, a lot of times I would get into these great conversations with people and I'm like, oh no, I have to hit record and then go back. Um, <laughs> so yeah, so, um, you know, and what I like about the podcast is it gives like a chance to go in depth more than, uh, you know, it can in a video or in an article or something like that. So I'm I'm really glad that I get a chance to talk to you because um, you were my guide when I was in Baghdad and it was a really fascinating place to be. It was just a really great trip. Uh, you were absolutely, totally, completely helpful and knowledgeable. Um, and a lot has happened since that trip in, a, you know, in the last few months. So uh, but before we get to that, let, let me start out with uh, a little bit about your background, uh, you know, what you're doing, what your day-to-day -day life is like. Uh, first, I'm very flattered and I'm glad uh, all your kind words about what I like about the tour. And yeah, um, uh, so just because your voice cut for a bit, uh, you asked me about what uh, about my background and what I'm doing right now, what I have been doing and all of that, correct? Uh, yes, yeah. Yes. Um, so I am currently an undergrad student here in Baghdad in a university called the Nahrain University, studying engineering. Uh, from I've lived all of my life in Baghdad, uh, and I was born in 2002. So for a lot of people like I'm very young. Um, like, uh, yeah. Uh, so, like, what? Sorry. Uh, hmm? Yeah, I was going to say, what got you into engineering? Well, I'm very interested in STEM in general. Uh, at the same time, I wasn't really 
sure about what I, what I would be getting into, but I'm going to talk more right now about how the system works in Iraq. Mm -hmm. Because I I wasn't engineering, but I did not know which one exactly, which department. I currently am in electronics and communication. So basically circuit design and antennas and all of that uh, stuff. So part of like very important aspect in technology right now. And I understand a lot of countries right now are moving to that direction and trying to improve that sector very, very much and make it more scalable. Um, but yeah, sorry, going back to what I was talking about, about the rack system. Thing is like, well, here we have a point system. Uh, basically, uh, uh, you have one senior year that will decide everything. And you don't have something that is accumulative, like uh, in your high school. So in my senior year, I just was studying for all of the materials that was given me in my senior year. And um, then you would like you would go to the exams depending on how many subjects all one exam uh, and then you will uh, depending on how much points you get uh, you, you have you like you will tell the government basically you have a list of 30 or 40 uh, universities or colleges that specifically you want departments uh, and because it's all centralized the the points are made by the people like basically because depending on the, the supply and demand, which I know is really like some countries still use this, but a lot, a lot of other countries are not using this uh, system anymore. But yeah, it's sort of outdated for Iraq a bit. Um, so so uh, I had like I had in my top 20 all engineering. First, I had actually architecture, but in the few other ones behind it, like basically electronics and uh, uh electric engineering and by the way like i basically cannot really like one more than another i just uh, just architecture school here in iraq is better than the other ones so yeah i'm really glad with my what i got which is electronics and communication yeah i i'm sort of familiar with a similar system and then i'm contrasting that to the u.s so like in the u.s you apply for colleges and then you get in based on your grades at high school and then you you don't even have to pick your major until like one or two years into the degree. It's a four-year college usually. So, but whereas like there are other systems like in Turkey, for example, where you have to take a test, you get points. So like you can't, for example, in the US or you want to study medicine, engineering, art, whatever, you, you can, you can go into those fields. Whereas like in the point-based system, my understanding is that if it's similar, is that you can pick your fields, but you have to take a test to get good in, you know, to score well enough to study those. Is that, is that correct? Yes, but but the thing is, like for example, I had to study also biology. Uh, sorry, uh, economics. Sorry, I don't biology. This was recent. They split uh, biology and economics. But yeah, I had to study economics, even though uh, my subject was not really related to it, and it affected my admittance to the engineering school because it's all centralized like uh, um like think of it uh because okay so the school system here is all public there are some private universities but uh, their laws are a bit like um, more simpler but i'm going to talk more about the public system and what works for most iraqis here um the public system basically you have the students on one side 
and you have the universities all on uh, another side. Uh, and in the middle is the centralization by the government. Depending on how, how the students and what the, the supply is wanted by them, oh, sorry, the demand was wanted by them, uh, like the universities will adjust for the demand depending on the points and how much they want, sorry, how much uh, they can accommodate for student-wise. So for example, for one year, if there is a thousand people that got admitted to, um, uh, like they got admitted to like a uh, sorry uh, yeah, medicine school, that means these thousand people need to have ninety nine out of a hundred, for example. And if you get nine uh, eight sorry, uh, if you get ninety eight point nine, you'll be admitted to another school that is below it. I On another see. year, no, because like eight hundred people got admitted onto the uh, ninety uh, ninety nine. Maybe 89.9 is still admitted because it, it can accommodate 1,000 people. I see. I see. So, so, like for example, so in the public system, there are slots, right? Because uh, you know, I guess because yeah, yeah, the, yeah. the government is paying part of the tuition or or all of the tuition. Sorry. Uh, so, uh, the the schooling system here, including universities, are all free and public by the government. I see. All okay. So, I, I yeah, I see how the system works. So they're basically saying, in a way, um, if you want to study engineering, you have to go in with some knowledge. Some, you know, clearly you have to have studied it in and done well in, you know, high school and and before. Um, and everything basically, yeah. like if, depending on your mark. Uh, it doesn't matter if your mathematics score is below or the least out of all of it. Uh, if uh, the accumulative score, uh, all of it, like is on the admittance range, you can get accepted. They don't care about your specific subjects. I see. I see. Okay. So, so let's say you're, you know, Okay, I get it. So, like, it's not like you could go into art history if you have, like, you've never, you don't know anything, right? It's it's not like you're going in fresh uh, to to a subject, if that makes sense. Like, yeah, because you sort of need to study. Like, you sort of need to study everything. Uh, there is no choice for you to choose what you need to study in the high school years, basically. Uh, from what I understand from the American system is that you choose a few subjects to study and then you progress to your university depending or department in university depending on what they want. Here, no. You have to study everything. It doesn't matter if it's needed or not. Yeah, yeah. It, it's, it's interesting. Yeah, the U.S. system, essentially universities assume that you don't know what you want to do. They are just yeah. looking at essentially like what a good student you are. It doesn't matter mm -hmm. the the particular subject, um, mm -hmm. more or less. You know, it's it's more complicated than that. But I, I think that's that's basically how it works. Um, cool. So you're studying now. Uh, which year are you in? Are you close uh, to graduating? I'm currently yeah yeah third year basically. Um, and, uh, got all of the basics done and now getting more into the specialization work. And what, you know, sort of led you to blend that a little bit with tourism, which clearly you're guiding. So uh, what, what kind of led to that? Well, okay. So first, that would be actually my English language and my personality. 
that's the main two things that I would say. Uh, I, I consider myself as a very uh, curious person and Iraq in general, not to mention like it's not just the side of tourism, like our tourism is not like, hey, come on in and we're going to let you have some leisure time and that's it and have party time. No. The, our tourism is more of a, hey, come on in, let me teach you about my country, teach you how we got here and what we have what we have had to offer to the world, what we are currently offering to the world, what Iraq is uh, in the middle of, uh, like, sorry, what Iraq, uh, how can I say it basically, is connected to all of the stuff that is happening also at the same time in the world that is usually hidden. So I enjoy these subjects more and like to talk about them more. And uh, frankly, a lot of more the people that come are much more interested about it because the people that come to Iraq, they don't really want your usual kind of tourism. Like still, there is this image of Iraq. When you say Iraq, you feel like you remember the country of war. You remember the country that is um, on the news usually for bad uh, media or sorry not bad like rather tragic media or something like that so yeah yeah it's it, it makes total sense i mean when i was you know i had this idea of visiting i had visited iraq uh, you know 10 years before this year um i was mainly in the north areas uh, i didn't go to baghdad on that trip and when I was researching, you know, I had heard it was things were better and it was opening up. And, you know, the thing that gave me kind of a window was watching YouTube, watching, you you know, YouTubers go there and like show what it was like. And I was really surprised at like how quote unquote normal things seemed, you know, um, because the, the, the image in my head was different and it is so different when you're there and and you're right it's it's not a place that you can just like jump in for a weekend trip without knowing anything i mean you can but it would be so you would get just such a sliver of what things are actually like you know what people think yeah like like the thing is like if the for me like the people who have actually understood or really get got the gist of, out of Iraq and uh, really appreciated for uh, what uh, like a mumbo jumbo like twisted sort of uh, country it is because there's so much going on there is so much that is happening from all sorts of uh, subjects like from politically to economically to the people wise culturally all of it and like even the diversity that it offers, it's um, only the people that have researched it before or have been to almost more than forty percent of it, really under like really appreciate it uh, as a country that is so complex. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and the the borders don't almost do it justice, right? I mean, it's so mm -hmm. different. I mean, when when. We say tourism, you know, when I say I went to Iraq, it's really I went to, to Baghdad on this last trip because that's, you know, that was, it's like its own world kind of thing. Mm -hmm. I mean, um, so when did you notice like tourism starting or when, when did you notice people starting to to come more and more? 
Uh, are we talking foreign tourism or internal tourism? Because both oh. really started after a time because there was like both of them were, we can say gone for a long time. <laughs> yeah. So how about both? When, when did, you know, Iraqis start traveling? So, okay. Chronologically, um, since Iraq somewhat has been in a state of war for the past 40 years or so, beginning from the Iraq-Iran war, then afterwards the Gulf Wars, and then afterwards the U.S. invasion, then the civil war of 2006, then the ISIS war somewhat. And now we're currently in the somewhat stable time for wars, at least. Um, basically, internal uh, tourism sort of died out, completely gone, except... Uh, okay, so in the beginning from the 90s, I don't have too much information because I was not really alive uh, back then. I, I was born in 2002. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, so I'll tell you my viewpoint and what I saw after 2002 and everything. Um, people used to go outside of Iraq much more, especially in the time of the civil war. They, we, like a lot of Iraqis, including me, I've been to Syria. A lot of others went to Jordan, some to Turkey. Um, all of these uh, countries around us, they sort of accepted the Iraqis uh, for visa. Also, I needed to mention something else. Uh, external traveling is very hard for us uh, because it's like we are considered the, to have a I think right now the second worst password or third worst password in the whole world. Definitely the worst top 10. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, so it's really hard for us to get a hazard visa for any other country except the ones that are close to us. Um, other than that, like, yeah, uh, then the, there was a period of time that, uh, as you said, 10 years ago, you went to Kurdistan, like to the autonomous region in the north of Iraq, uh, specifically Arbil, you said, from what I remember. Yeah, yeah, Erbil and yeah. Uh, around that area. Yeah, uh, that that area is was very stable in the past like twenty years. So a lot of Iraqis also went up to it as tourism, uh, like for tourism specifically because it has the mountainous region. Most of Iraq is just flatlands. So for us, we have limited options. If you want to have leisure, you go to the mountains. Um, other than that, uh, then like. Especially in the time of ISIS, the northern region really suffered because all of the main routes that you would take on the land were gone because there were conflicts uh, at the, that time in those areas. Um, but the southern areas in the Baghdad like, were not really affected. There were uh, some terrorist bombs here and there, of course. But we did not really feel war. It was just like a continuation of the civil war of uh, Iraq in 2006 and somewhat. Um, what happened, but uh, this is all I'm talking from the viewpoint of the people. I'm not talking from the viewpoint like politically or economically because every year it was a case of its own. That, <laughs> Frankly, uh, it needs a lot of time. Like, and I'm pretty sure like I have a friend that's studying economics in, in Italy, sorry, and they use Iraq as a case study for each year that they go through. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, like uh, talking about uh, going back to tourism, uh, then 2015, 16, some people diverted their eyes into the southern area, specifically the marshes, the marshlands, uh, which are, I believe, the oldest inhabited area in the whole world when it comes to uh, marshlands in general, um, because it's where Sumerians came to be. 
like where culture was sort of invented and at the same time the oldest uh, kind of writing that we ever know which is uh, a cuneiform uh, still there's some of the debate about hieroglyphy and the uh, cuneiform like hieroglyphy in egypt and cuneiform in uh, uh, the Sumerians, but the, yeah, like along those lines, at the same, more, like uh, speaking historically, they were almost the same time. Somewhat developed similarly, but still, like uh, cuneiform was more developed, like as a language rather than hieroglyph, which was like visual language. Uh, anyway, sorry, I diverted a bit uh, to another uh, aspect of uh, what we're talking about. Going back to tourism. Uh, so yeah, people when started focusing more in the, to the south in 2015-16, and then the marshes got in, uh, accepted in uh, the World Heritage Site. I think in 2016 or 17, not exactly sure of the date. This caused much more attention to be viewed, but still, it wasn't really developed yet. And by the way, what I'm talking about right now is all internal tourism. There was no foreign tourism all of that time until 2020. Talk about that later. Um, so what happened is people started going there more and more. The marshes people find, like understood what they were given, uh, the people that were going there, and the tourism started to become another source of income for them. So they developed more and more, and they sort of even broke some of their social norms. Uh, not to mention also there is another aspect of tourism that we haven't spoken of yet is also the religious tourism, specifically in Karbala and Najaf, and also Kazmin in Baghdad. Uh, those are all like Shia-oriented uh, sites, uh, historical sites that are very important to Islam, that basically include the, the shrines of uh, the holy imams. Uh, and all, including all of that time, people were still coming for religious tourism. Um, so, yeah, like, but mm, after ISIS was defeated, especially after the Battle of Mosul, um, economically stuff sort of settled down a bit. Stability was on the rise. Politically, it was always a mess, has been always a mess, and still is a mess. Uh, but current, like, uh, especially uh, during COVID, um, everything. COVID is a whole subject for its own, <laughs> its own but yeah. <laughs> but what happened is in 2021, 20, uh, uh, the Pope visited Iraq. And that was really like it changed a lot. Uh, the Pope, I believe, asked the Prime Minister directly to open the visa for all of the first world countries, like, uh, or at least most of them, including the European Euro Union, uh, Canada, US, Australia, Japan, South Korea, all of those. Um, and when that happened, sort of only now, finally, foreign tourism, like, uh, like external tourism, sorry, yeah, foreign tourism started coming again because their visa was just really easy. Just come in, visa on arrivals, pay the $70, and you're on to go whatever site you want to go on Iraq, all of Iraq. And Kurdistan was easier to get to. Uh, I'm sorry, like uh, mm -hmm. uh, Kurdistan, the northern region, because it's autonomous, they can go to it, but not all of Iraq. All of Iraq was like, it was a country that was like forbidden. You cannot really enter it 
for the past 40 years and it's finally opened. So a lot of the travelers, like really people who really love traveling, started going to it as their first destination. Well, well, understandably, because we have a lot of stuff, like people have been studying about Mesopotamia since they were little kids and they've never gone to it. It's maybe people have gone to Egypt, maybe uh, they've gone to uh, the Indus region, but not Iraq, not Mesopotamia. And I, I was just curious about like the, the the marshes, you know, we're talking, you know, more or less Baghdad is in the center of the country. Yes. Um, and the marshes are a couple hours south, just to give people a um, picture. Yeah, about yeah, about four hours to the south. Uh, the whole geography of Iraq is very diverse. Like we have desert, we have the plains, we have marshes, we have uh, mountains, uh, but it's all very somewhat close to each other. Like it can go from the Iraq border from one Iraq border to another within twelve hours. Uh, uh, so, like my car, which is I think relatively okay for a lot of other countries that are much bigger um and for the diversity it offers basically and i'm guessing uh fuel there is pretty uh inexpensive uh, i'm just uh, kidding <laughs> well yeah fuel is um subsidized by the government so any difference that is happening that happens within it is paid by the government like it has been fixed for the past i don't know 20 years or so 30 yeah. Sorry, not yeah. 30, 20, like, of course, yeah. Well, it's, inter uh, beginning. Oh. It, hmm? it's interesting that you said 2021, you know, this is when tourism picked up. It's, it's, I mean, it's surprising because it's so, so recent. Um, mm -hmm. Although it's, it's also not surprising considering, you know, the, the recent history. Um, so then you, you start to see, I, I think right, right. You're implying that the the visa on arrival makes things way. I, I mean, as a traveler, like I know, when you have that, it makes a country just way top of your list, right? Nobody wants to deal with difficult visas or anything like that. Is yeah, that... exactly. Like, okay. mm -hmm. mm -hmm. go ahead. Is and that, that... that and that's oh, sorry, yeah, and that that's when people started to to really arrive, right? I mean, yes, and still no, because we're still not in like a top destination. Um, we are just another destination for the ones who are eager to it. Especially in the beginning, there was, of course, COVID restrictions. So that caused traveling for a lot of other people more hassleless. Like they just wanted to wait more. Not to mention all the crisis that was happening across, even until now, the crisis that is happening economically. Uh, but uh, for the people who were fine with it, who were able to get their own stuff done with it, they did not really get affected too much. And yeah, they were able to come here and travel. Um, at the same time, I want to say that Iraq is not a cheap country for foreigners. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. I, I noticed that as well. Like, I mean, the prices are not what you would consider a place that has such little tourism. And that's so difficult to get to. Usually you would expect much lower prices. Mm -hmm. Yes, but like specifically, let's, I'm going to talk about right now Baghdad, okay? Mm -hmm. Because each city is different. If you go to, for example, to Erbil, which has been open for the last 20 years, you can easily find like very reasonable prices. But for Baghdad, like the hotels are much like, the, there isn't, we don't really have a fair sort of class of hotels because simply there is no competition. 
simply there is no no much development in the tourism sector. You either have the low ones that charge way too much because they don't have uh, uh, enough demand, and the the ones that want hotels are willing to pay, or you have the truly too expensive ones, like talking about $300 a night. And those are services are acceptable. And I say acceptable, not too great. Yeah, I think, right, because like usually in a destination like that, the the first people that start to arrive are the business traveler, or at least that, you know, that segment is more developed. So the prices are either, like you said, really high. And then the there's no in between like low and high because you have the business travelers, you have mainly like the local travel, and then there's no competition for the in between yet. You know, it takes time yes. to develop that. Exactly. Um, not to mention like even transportation, uh, because for example, what we do is we get our own driver with their own car, and for the person to hire them like twelve hours a day. That they will charge a lot more than if you go just public transportation, which is not reliable and not really secure, sort of too. So yeah, like when I say a lot more, like exponentially more. Yeah. So, like to give people an idea, you know, the the average traveler, right? How much are they paying per day? Let's say middle, like just at like normal, like you know. Mm-hmm. me or somebody like that like somebody yeah, who's yeah, not going yeah. um, one person that would pick yeah 180 dollars about 200 200 and that's not including food and hotel and no no, no with this. hotel yeah like okay. with hotel uh but yeah like um but the thing is, okay, I counted it with a double room, not a single room. Like basically, you're sharing uh, your room with another person. Because also, like if you're traveling solo, usually the price is about sixty percent more than what mm-hmm. it is. Yeah. <laughs> because you're paying for all of the things on your own, not usually. You know, like usually a single room costs as much as a double room, and the driver costs at the end the same amount as one. Uh, like one driver for two people. So yeah. 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 So what what kind of like what is the average, you know, type of person who are you finding like groups of people that are coming? Are you finding like solo travelers? Is there a specific like age group? Or... Uh, there isn't an average sort of person. There's everything, frankly, from the budget travelers that decide to go all public transport or to the like wealthy good enough travelers that they decide to have all the services and uh, are able to pay um and uh, but i'll tell you this most of the people that are coming i think are from the united states now i've noticed that interesting <laughs> yes. it it kind of leads me to the question you know we we shot this video together asking mm-hmm. you, you know what what iraqis wanted the world to know about them and, mm. and and also because the 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 origin of that idea came, we were going to ask people, or I was going to ask people, you know, what they thought of America and Americans. And I, I realized, you know, I, I explained in the video why, you know, I didn't really focus on that question. But um, I think a lot of people would be surprised that Americans are the probably the top tourists that are going to Iraq. And mm-hmm. 
um, just because of the the, the history. Um, I can speak from personal experience and say that you know Iraqis are very welcoming uh, and hospitable. Also, because there is no real tourism yet, so you know when you go to a place that doesn't have tourism, it's a whole different experience. People are so much nicer and friendly. Um, do you find that is the same for the Americans visiting? Is there any tension or anything like that? Mm, some people, especially in the beginning, were really scared. Like you know, they really uh, they were not knowing what to expect. Um, and there, are some people just like walked around and uh, they said that they are from Canada or UK or whatever, not mentioning the US while their passports are US. Uh, and some others, no, they were fine with it. And they, either way, they found the same kind of hospitality. From my viewpoint, from what I saw, same kind of hospitality. They did not care about anything. Yeah. From the people, at least. So, yeah. Yeah, it, it is a, like, you know, for people listening, it is a very unique experience it, to travel to a place and especially such a big city. You know, we're talking about Baghdad. Um, you find that maybe in smaller places where you feel like you can talk to people, you know, like where there's like a one-on-one, -on -one, you don't feel like you're in a big city kind of thing. Um, so that's one really nice thing about traveling there. And we're, we're probably at the point where people who are listening, who haven't been, or who maybe don't travel as, I guess, much are wondering, why would I even want to go? So I'm wondering if you could, you know, kind of give like a, a taste of why would you want to go to Baghdad? What would you do in Iraq? You know, why? So, okay, Baghdad or Iraq, because those are two very different subjects. Oh, I know, like Baghdad is this side of Iraq, but still. Yeah. Let, uh, let's yeah. say somebody has like a week to travel. A week? Yeah. Okay. Well, first I would ask them, what do you really want? Are you interested about the people and culture? Or are you interested about our history? What kind of history? Recent one or old one? Uh, and we talking? Are we talking ancients? Do you have any specific, basically, uh, like because some people have are really interested about it from the religious aspect of ancient uh, uh, ancient theology, basically, or some people know from the knowledge and culture aspect of it and what those ancient civilizations do, or maybe even from the religious aspect too. Right now, like for example, the shrines. Uh, and uh, like for example i'll tell you this for the shrines i've told some people and they've said this is the most well-made man-made structure that they've ever seen in their whole life or actually like not specifically well-made as much as beautiful or extravagant along those lines um and like the, the shrine experience on their own are a whole different experience especially for those people who don't really understand uh, or known much about the, like the, the Islam religion from the Shia side specifically. Because usually what's on the mainstream is mostly the Sunni side, not really Shia side, uh, which is understandable because most of the Islam uh, population is a Sunni. But yeah, and, uh, like, and how everything goes into Iraq from those religious sects, in the past years, or are we talking from the a bit older years? Are you interested about the Islamic uh, golden age of Iraq from the Abbasids when they conquered almost from 
India to Andalusia or which what what are you interested in? Do you want to go to see Mosul after everything that happened after ISIS? Do you want to see the life there, all the improvements that they were doing, or and how people are coping after such a devastating war? Or do you want to go and see Kurdistan, which is on its own sort of its own thing that is in Iraq and in our country, but it's still its an own thing? Uh, or do you want to go and see the marshes, which is very nature area, like uh, and such an open area and very diverse when it comes ecological. Like it's really basically um, uh, sorry, a migration uh, stop for birds from uh, Russia and Africa. Another thing is basically for the marshes, we can go and discuss how it was because marshes and their traditions somewhat have stayed relatively uh, the same from the beginning of the Sumerians. And how they build their houses, what is their lifestyle, how they live generally. And yeah, what are so, you interested in? That's my main question. Wow, no, I mean, so it seems like, I mean, there's just so much to see and do, uh, you know, and, you know, I don't want to take words out of your mouth, but it's like for, you know, because I'm thinking people who haven't been or who aren't familiar that going to these places, it's relatively like easy travel. In other words, like, it's not like you're roughing it kind of situ situation, you know, like if you have a guide and a driver, getting around to these places, right, is pretty easy. It's, it's it you know, it would be like traveling in in Europe, even to the point, you know, it's just going from in a car, one place to the other place, you know, the, the hotel infrastructure is good. Um, right. Am I, you know, am, am I, I haven't been to all the places you mentioned. So, yeah. Uh, uh, so the thing is, of course, like uh, if you go with a tour guide, most of the time they will have everything accommodated for, to you. I say most of the time, because still Iraq is still in its early time of tourism uh, for us, even right now, we struggle a bit um, when it comes to the bureaucracy that goes on with the Iraq, because still there's a lot of checkpoints, like not everything, is, uh, like they will still stop you and ask you, but that's just like normal procedure and asking, but they might delay you. Then the thing that you, like the thing that we worry about most is the timing, because anything that could happen that would delay us, but nothing that could happen, nothing has ever happened that actually harmed any person. <laughs> it's just delays in what time. Uh, so yes, it is very accessible, accommodatable, but things can happen. Right. And Not it, harmful things, but things that will affect the itinerary. Right. Like, I see. So, I mean, that leads me to, to my other question, which is the current, you know, news recently right the the protests uh have made a lot of news mm. uh, you know what what is happening now you know what what is the situation in in baghdad for example now and so all of okay so everything that was happening in the before few months is just because we were like we made our elections last year okay we had our elections that we were like the the people demanded because of a really strong protests that some people might even dare to say it's a revolution, which I personally agree with. I would consider it a revolution more than just a 
protests because it was too big, really, really big. We're talking about millions of people, like a second Arab Spring. Um, and uh, the like, the thing is, that we made our elections last year in October, and usually our government, like what it's supposed to do, is government forms in one month. What happened is it took us a year until now. And the political parties are still sort of fighting between themselves, at least the past few months, to who actually gets to make the government uh, because of all the loopholes that we have in our constitution and all of the problems that we have with really not having a, a well enough made constitution and law. Uh, at the same time, uh, our judicial uh, judicial governance is very easily manipulated because when it comes to government, our government is not really uh, like we have a government, it's very structured, but there's a lot of hitting hands that go into it, so that be it from other countries or from even just like cartels that run everything here in Iraq. Does that mean that it affects the people? Not necessarily. I mean, uh, we may get a curfew, but unless that you're in the middle of these protests that they themselves, that the political parties like are uh, arranging and blah, 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 like you're not going to get affected. Um, I was touring actually in one time that there were protests in the middle of the green zone, which is basically the area where all the governance happens. And we were not really affected, especially the other provinces, not at all. People just keep on living their normal life and politics keep this going on in the governor's houses, <laughs> but it doesn't affect you. So like for someone traveling there, would would this disrupt like, a, you know, let's say they're spending three days in Baghdad, would it disrupt the, their plans or their trip? So the most like if uh, okay, so the thing is right now, uh, finally, like yesterday, actually, or before yesterday, our government was finally formed. New president was elected, the new prime minister was elected, so and every all of the roads are open now, and there's nothing. Uh, so currently it's a really good time to travel currently, uh, because that means everything will be stable for the next year or so. Um, but when things happen like that, and uh, like uh, for protests and everything. The thing that you, you should worry about is actually just world, uh, uh, sorry, uh, road blockage. Um, because one time it got really bad in Baghdad, like in the green zone, and they just caused all of Baghdad to be shut down. Everything else was fine. Most of the other provinces did not even care. But entry and uh, like uh, to enter Baghdad or get out of it, it was impossible. Well, actually not impossible. I believe that if you have a, a, like a ticket, uh, or some other form of basically saying that you have to go to the airport or you have a hotel in Baghdad or something like that. They don't care. Like they will let you pass because they not like the mean. Like they were not doing this to prevent you specifically. It's just to, to basically cut uh, the life out of the city to calm everything down forcefully, uh, but without using any force. Basically. <laughs> um, so yeah, like it could affect you, but that's specifically Baghdad. Other provinces, no. Currently, nothing of that matter will happen. And usually, when something like this happens, there's a lot of takeaways that happen before it that tell you 
this is time that is a risky time to arrive. And uh, if you're going the tour operator, like us, uh, for example, um, we, like they will help you with this too, like to make understand what is the current situation in Iraq. Because we like even considered sometime actually the stopping our tours or pausing it. Uh, but we just the like so like uh, overview the situation, understood what was happening, and uh, we basically said we explained the situation and we gave the option to them. But our recommendation was to continue on with the tours, and we did. And the like uh, they were all like they did everything, and yeah, uh, we did not have a tour that we had a problem with because of the politics or elections or whatever. So yeah, like you like you mentioned, it's a place that things can happen. In other words, like it, it's more susceptible to rocky times, right? Like that, like you mm. said, road co closures and things mm. like that. Um, uh, so, do you, what do you? How do you see the the future of tourism in in Iraq in general or in Baghdad? Is it getting uh, better, or is it gonna still kind of? plateau for a while um i'm optimistic uh, because just from the past uh, year or almost now by now two years uh <clears throat> a lot of things have changed a lot of things are moving better a lot of things are being made easier for foreigners and there isn't too much bureaucracy behind it uh the like it's like it feels that iraq now is getting more acceptable like because I have to mention this, what I mean, acceptable, like people never saw foreigners. Like when I see, they say that never saw, like if you were, if you had blonde hair and you look like from Europe, you're exotic, you're literally exotic to them, <laughs> uh, to the people, because they've literally never seen that. Uh, a foreigner or someone who is from Europe, just walking in the streets of Baghdad or the streets of any other city that is in Iraq in the South. Um, but now after a year and a half, people have gotten used to it. People have seen the TikToks, have seen the YouTube videos, have just gotten more used to it from people-wise. And the government at the same time too, the way that the procedures are going with foreigners too. So yeah. Interesting. Yeah, it, it will be interesting to see how that develops. I. I think it is a place that's, like you said, not for maybe not for everybody, but a lot more people than they think you know there's this, i think there's a percentage of people who would want to and who could travel there but who don't know they can yet and it, you know what i mean and I, I i think i hope that it opens up more because it is really just a fascinating place it's also a fascinating time and the food was very good so <laughs> it's all good good quality Always. <laughs> yeah um so, you know, as we start to wrap things up, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about tech um, mm -hmm. because you are studying engineering and something that you had on your phone, you had a dbrand skin that caught my eye and I was like, okay, this guy, we, we watch some of this, this, the same uh, uh, tech channels. Uh, yeah. So uh, what is it like, like what, I, I don't remember which phone you had at the time, but what is it like getting tech in Iraq, is it really difficult? Is it expensive? Um, how long does it take? Like the, the iPhone 14, like when does that pop up in, in a store in Baghdad? 
so uh, my phone was actually Note 20 Ultra, Samsung Galaxy Note 20 Ultra, and I still have it right here right now with the deep, same deep brand skin of uh, <laughs> the same YouTuber that we're talking about. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, the same time, um, it's uh, it's like technology is easy to get into. Like our our trade is open. I can get stuff from Amazon. I can get stuff uh, shipped to me from any other country. This not this wasn't used like it did not used to be the case. By the way, it was much harder see like five years ago but now with iraq opening up more and more it became much easier but uh, speaking of the tech side of things no like since the beginning because a lot of uh, traders they go to dubai and import it from there which usually is much easier to do that uh, as uh, for the iphones for example we actually have a reseller like uh, that is accepted from uh, two resellers from accepted from apple and actually, I was just like a, a month ago, I just went and asked for the iPod, iPad Pro uh, 11th gen, I think mm-hmm. 11th gen, like the one with the M1 chip. Uh, and they were out of stock, both of them. Wow. <laughs> and wow. I, like I went in and the, like the whole, like it was just a normal Tuesday afternoon. The whole shop was filled with people. <laughs> <laughs> so it is, is it an Android world? In you know in around there or half that... and half okay. half and half but not not as much as the U.S. when it comes to Apple dominance. <laughs> yeah, half and half. Yeah, half and uh, half. The thing is, like, it's just uh, Apple usually is much more expensive, and there is a lot more uh, uh, choice when it comes to Android phones, and especially in the mid range too. Uh, for, especially in the, for the these Chinese companies like OnePlus or Poco or Redmi, especially Xiaomi, Redmi is uh blowing up here because of the cheap very like reasonably priced phones and that have good performance so yeah this is only on the phones of, like uh stuff like we talk right now about pcs and graphics card especially with the sculpting uh, uh time during covid or so uh I, I might like a lot of people might be surprised to say this but our prices were much less than there was on the Western <laughs> kind of like spectrum because just people are not uh, able to get uh, to buy these graphic cards as at the price that they were asking, like these sculptures. Uh, at the same time, um, it's just like all of the people, like <clears throat> sorry, all of the traders here got it at MSRP price because they had deals with. Uh, the manufacturers themselves usually also from dubai yeah i i yeah it's all the crypto mining right like they're making graphics yeah exactly <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah i was you know i was surprised when i was there like how many because that's something i always notice is kind of like what phones people are using what tech they have and i was surprised that the average level of of like you know how new stuff was and it, it was Things, I mean, people were using much more like modern phones and and especially a lot of Apple stuff, which is usually very expensive uh, around the world. Usually, I was surprised at that. Um, yeah. So, um, uh, I just want to say this: Iraqis, especially if we're talking if we're talking about Baghdad and the areas that I took you, uh, are usually the well-off areas. I'm not saying that. Mm-hmm. Like, I did not take you to the areas that were very. Uh, 
like I can't say po like poverty and or under the like but close to poverty line, uh, basically. Uh, those areas use much more Android. I'll tell you that. Like uh, or really old uh, iPhone users, but they all have access to technology, all of them, on the internet. Well, um, okay. yeah, no, I, I, I was uh, now I could uh, now I'm going on a tangent of, but yeah, that like the Wi-Fi was was pretty good when I was there. I, again, I was surprised. I, I was like, yeah, in a in a more pricey hotel, but still, you know, that's not the case everywhere, you know, in the world. Yeah. Uh, uh, our internet just just like in the recently got better, and usually it's only the data that got better. Uh, we jumped from being the, like, if we go to speed test, uh, to the data, I think we were jumped from the 150th country to the 34th country in the world or 47, something like that's, that. That's, those lines. that's pretty that's good. That's a big leap. That's yeah. a like really big leap. Uh, but yeah. Well, I, I, I wanted to ask you if you have any last things for somebody who's thinking of going to Iraq, like, do you have a, just a quick message, you know, somebody who's listening and going, you know, I might not go now, but maybe in, you know, a few years or or maybe I'll make it my next trip. Do you have any? Like a... <laughs> um, Iraq is, okay, so two things specifically. Iraq is changing rapidly. Each year, there is a lot of things that uh, are changing. Like if an old right now comes to Iraq, it, or specifically Baghdad, he will notice some stuff that changed from what it used to be. Like, uh, and that just speaks of how much stuff that is happening and developing here in Iraq. At the same time, there is another thing that uh, I would recommend. I know that I said, uh, like, what are you interested in? But at the same time, if you want to come to Iraq, maybe leave that question blank and just go in and explore everything. Anything that comes across to you. And yeah, because you might really find something that you would like. <clears throat> in an unexpected way uh, i i like that as that's that's a great way to end uh this episode i i i i think that's just a great way i th that piques my <laughs> curiosity and i've already been um so i want to thank you very much for your time thanks for taking the time out from you know all the things you do and your studies uh to talk to me and talk to us <laughs> and give us more detail about what it's like to visit there um, I will leave a link in the show notes where people can find uh, the tours. So if they, yes. if you're thinking about going to to Baghdad or to Iraq in general, uh, I will leave a link. I, I can't speak highly enough uh, for you as a guide. You are an excellent guide. So people should ask for you uh, if you're available. Um, and it's just a lot of fun to uh, catch up again. So thanks for taking the time to uh, talk to me. Anytime. Uh, I really enjoyed this. Uh, frankly, this was my first ever podcast to be into. And I really liked how it went. Like, it was just really a nice little chat that we had about everything good. me and Iraq. <laughs> uh, <laughs> That's awesome. And yeah, I really, I, really, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, thank you for this experience that you gave me. And uh, I hope everyone that is listening also benefited from it somehow. And yeah. Thank you, Meti, for being a guest on the podcast. And thank all of you for listening. Make sure you leave a five-star review wherever you're listening to this podcast. It really helps get the word out. Thanks again for all of your reviews, all of your time, all of your comments. Just all of your support is very much appreciated. I hope until the next episode that you have a great rest of your day.